The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel America's number one sports book is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here back for part two of the discussion of the Ravens' defense against the Pittsburgh Steelers and this uh, loss 16 to 13 on uh, Sunday Night Football. Uh, not obviously what the Ravens needed in terms of improving their uh, their playoff hopes, uh, but here to join me and talk about the uh, the defensive performance, which is probably better than the offense, is Jim Zipko. Jim, how you doing? I'm great, Ken. How are you doing? Good to see you again. Uh, always great to talk football with you. And uh, let's get right Happy into Happy New Year to uh, everyone out in the Ravens flock. There you go. That's How did I forget to do that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's 2023. And we hope that it'll be a better year than 2022, which uh, yes. did not go that well. Um, all right. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the Ravens pass rush in this. A very unusual game because McDonald despite the fact that Pickett is a rookie quarterback, despite the fact that I think they did some things in that first game during a very limited time he was in the game to try and pressure him and create forced errors, they really had a scheme that was really intended to create unforced errors from Pickett in this game. 
say very little variation by numbers. It was almost exclusively a four-man rush. They rushed for 25 out of 29 dropbacks that resulted in a passer sack. So that's very unusual for the Ravens. And they never rushed three and they never rushed six. So boy, you're really talking about making it sim- simple and uh, and uh, hopefully containing Pickett was uh, was what they were after. Um, it's very interesting because that's the opposite of a of a Wink Martindale game plan, right? It's it's uh, it's you know not sending anybody, not sending the house, not con- confusing the quarterback, not rattling him. It's it's definitely the opposite approach. It's I think Wink had a bias towards pressure that was greater than what McDonald is. We've seen both from McDonald. We honestly did see both from Wink too, and people don't want to give Wink credit for certain things, but, but I understand that the guy who who had even more variation of defensive game plan was Dean Pease who would, mm-hmm. he would have pressure games and he would have non-pressure games. And he very, very effective at times, just getting quarterbacks to make a bunch of unforced errors. And when you got the ponies in the secondary, you can afford to do that. And when you don't, you, you can't really. And, and uh, this Ravens team, I think is in pretty good shape in the secondary, not great, but they're going to be better than most teams. I would say at this time of year, and, and they're certainly are playing good defense overall. I think a, a lot, we've heard a lot of defensive coordinators over the years talk about making the quarterback distrust what he sees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that did not seem to be a big factor of this game plan. You know, I, I can't say that I've looked at the all 22 to really get down on that as yet. I don't know what they were taking away. I don't know the balls that Pickett did, looked for and didn't throw because he thought he saw something. So I I, a lot of that would have been Chuck Clark moving around or Williams moving into position to take away certain routes on the back end that we're not necessarily seeing. Uh, but uh, but he threw some he threw some balls that required some really good throws. And in general, he was able to make some of those, even though the Ravens overall were, were pretty effective against the pass in this game. Uh, Pickett made some big throws and what really mattered, in ter- including a couple ATS opportunities on the final drive. Uh, where he he got 20 and 28 yards on consecutive plays that really got the, I mean that flipped the field, frankly for the for the. So those th- those throws were made with uh, with ample time and space. Ample time and space. So if, if if you're asking for a definition on that, ample time and space effectively means he has or would have had had the blocking continued and he held the ball that long, a three second pocket and the ability to step into his throw. That second part mm-hmm. very important and it's a big difference between me and PFF in terms of how pressures are applied. So first of all, it's a two and a half versus three second standard. And second of all, um, if, if the cone, the throwing cone is imperiled, meaning the cone emanating from the quarterback, uh, then generally speaking, that creates a pressure during that period of time. So my system has many more pressures than, than PFF does is what that effectively means. Oh, because PFF doesn't call it a pressure if the quarterbacks can't step into the throw. And you do. Yeah, that's correct. So they have a much, much um, looser standard for proximity pressures, which which blames less on linemen. Now, I, I don't know that they reciprocally grade the quarterbacks on that, but that's the way they grade the offensive linemen in terms of pressures or uh, in terms of pressures. Let me move I think on. that there is an interesting study to be done on the evolution of your method, because if I'm not mistaken, you counted whole seconds because of the you had a a defined and repeatable number of clicks on your DVR right. 
that you could advance that made a full second doable uh, for you and not a half second. So oh, I think no, that I can I can time it down to 0. 0.03 seconds. Oh, okay. Uh, and so so, so, so and anybody can. So this is not me special, but but if if you use the click system, all you need to do is pause at a particular time. Here's how you calibrate your game, by the way. And games are broadcast in two different formats: one that's 60 frames per second, another that's 30 frames per second. The normal CBS games, which most Ravens games are, are, are broadcast in 1080i, which is a 30 frames per second format. Here's what you do. Hit a pause on your play while the clock is running. The clock will be on. Then hit the fast forward and count your clicks. Well, actually, don't even bother counting your clicks. Just click it forward one at a time until you see the second change on the clock. Okay. Then... Click it 30 more times, kind of slowly, one at a time. Make sure the picture is advancing as you're going through this. And you'll notice at that, on the 30th click, it will click over to the next second. So pause and then fast forward is the way it works on my DirecTV remote. It is similar on most other remotes if you have another brand of DVR, but it might not be exactly the same. But it's recording, I guarantee you, the same exact information in 1080i on your DVR that's that's on either system. So little bit of nerd time there for for you video geeks and and guys who want to study film um, a window a into the yeah. a window into the film study methodology <laughs> here yeah i think i think that, that would be another series we talked about having a series on um going through data the various dinosaurs i feel i think that'd be fun over the off season but another one would be in, in just a, a film analysis methods and tools that you, that, that yeah. are available to you on your dvr just to, there's quite a bit of stuff uh, I know a lot of people, you know, look at the all 22 and, and whatnot. Once you get in that realm, the, 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 uh, the, the timing mechanisms are not the same. So right. the, you've, you've re-recorded into some other format and then you, you might not have the same thing. So uh, I can only speak to a DVR. And that's why, by the way, that DVR recording is of incredible value. Uh, I, yeah. I, I have multiple redundancies here within my own house to have two separate sources and two separate DVRs that are recording the game. So I can have a direct TV thing, but the redundancy is that absolutely critical to the work I do. And if I ever lost it, I'd be, I'd be very upset, but I'm one of the first, a few people gets both the, the Fios you know, TV and direct TV to be, to make sure that I have that redundancy in case of, of bad weather, uh, making the, the direct TV thing act up. So I know that there's the, the NFL film offices in New Jersey, the old Steve Sable stomp, stomping grounds. And then there's the, uh, the Ken McCusick film study archive in uh, yeah. North Baltimore. So, yeah, there you go. So that's got, that's got every uh, Ravens game in, in history. So that's uh, it is what it is. Anyway, let's move on here. <laughs> the Ravens had 13 pressures in this game in 29 plays uh, resulting in a passer sack. That's 45%. And is a very good total, by the way, uh, is, the Ravens have not been up in the 45% range too often this year. They have been over 50 at least once, maybe a couple times. Um, but to get 13 pressures is good. It's just, it, they did not get them consistently when they needed them and they you know they gave up some ample time and space at the wrong time on that final drive that really exceptionally hurt that that said they gave up only 12 ample time and space opportunities for the whole game and Pickett did not really punish them on those 72 total yards even with the 48 yards on the last drive uh they they had a sack among those plays but it was 6.0 yards per play that is that is very substandard for ATS normally you'd expect something in the Eight to eleven range, more maybe normally right. would be would be pretty typical for ample time and space. Now we've been complaining because a lot of quarterbacks have getting getting the ball out quickly before pressure could develop these last few weeks, and that's been true of a number of quarterbacks. Tua had twenty four of those, I believe. 
Uh, Burrow had a whole bunch of wide receiver screens and little flat passes thrown to the outside. Only four of those passes in this game by Kenny Pickett. And given how they use space in this game, it's actually a little surprising that they would not have more. But those four plays only went for 12 total yards, so that wasn't the problem either for the Ravens in this game, giving up a lot of of ball-out quick plays. Well, so I would say in general, the problems for the Ravens in this game were uh, for the Ravens defense in this game were not necessarily in the passing game. Yeah, they gave up, you know, a touchdown in the passing game, a, a couple of big plays. But, but you know, we talked in the last episode that the problems were really in the running plays. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I certainly agree with that. Um, just, just to complete the whole cycle here, 13 pressure events. Uh, Pickett actually threw for 5.3 yards per play. That's a good number, by the way. Uh, 5.3 against yards pressure. per play is exceptional against pressure. Um, and and they, the court, Ravens, frankly, did a pretty good job of getting on the ground here. They had, what, about? Seven quarterback hits to go with a couple of additional sacks. They might show up with nine quarterback hits if you look at the game book. I, I haven't to confirm that, but I've got seven quarterback hits marked. Uh, so I, I imagine that's the case. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question. About, oh, no, please continue. No, if you had something, I, I was about to move on. I uh, So this occurred to me while you were talking about pressures. And I was thinking about a couple of the big plays that Pickett made so I assume it's a pressure event if a rusher flushes the quarterback out and forces him to roll one way or the other. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. I within and three so, seconds. Within three seconds. Let me add that for for what I'm what I'm talking about. Gotcha. So we saw Pickett complete the touchdown to Najee Harris. Uh, we saw him complete uh, something on the sideline. I, I I'm wondering if the game has changed in the following way. In the old days when you had Dan Marino and Dan Fouts under center, even when you had Peyton Manning under center, uh, like you force a quarterback to roll and that is, you know, 75 to 90% of the way to a win on that down for the defense. Yeah. I, I would in the agree. Modern... Go ahead. I was going to say there's a big difference between rolling left and rolling right. And on the, on the touchdown pass that won the game, for example, the pass to Najee Harris, it, that, that's a complex play, but the, the Ravens basically had Pierre Paul bring the initial pressure and he had a chance for the sack, could not convert yep. it, uh, forced Pickett left out of the pocket. Queen rushed from what is effectively a spy position. He had a short zone and he, and he, his job then is to rush the passer as soon as the pocket breaks. So he came in very fast on Pickett and knocked him down at the end of the play, but Pickett got the ball off on that 10 yard pass to, uh, to Harris, but the big, the, the, the play was lost um, more than not on the fact that Pierre Paul missed the sack because as soon as he mm-hmm. did, and he dove in the attempt to do that, Pickett was able to reset his feet and get yeah. that ball off uh, squarely to Najee Harris. So, uh, you know, a, a complex play, but a show, a play where the Ravens had a, had a pressure and could not convert it. And, and it really, uh, the play went to waste. When you think about the modern quarterbacks who have taken the game by storm, and I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar, uh, uh, I guess Justin Herbert, Mm -hmm. um, these are guys who can throw on the run. Uh, For example, when a defense makes Lamar move out of the pocket, I don't think there's anybody on the defensive staff of the opponent who thinks they've won that down. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, you know, Patrick Mahomes, similarly, I would say Josh Allen, are, are these quarterbacks changing the calculus for how the defense has to regard pressures? 
I'll start with the, it, it matters where the pressure is coming from and where the flush is going. If the flush forces a move left, I still think it's a big win. Uh, so, so, so I'll start with that. If the flush forces a move right, then it's not as much as, and, and this maybe it's not obvious to people, but a, a right-handed quarterback when he's flushed to the left has to reset his feet in order to throw that ball. He's otherwise got nothing, to, nowhere to bring the ball across his body and generate the velocity right. he needs to, to make a throw. Some quarterbacks like Mahomes, like some of the really mobile guys can just turn their upper side of their body and flick their wrist and still get some velocity on the ball, but all are disadvantaged by that. And if you go yes. back to, to traditional pocket passers like Joe Flacco in Ravens history, you know, frankly, if, if his feet are twisted up in some way where he's moving left, it almost always is going to be bad news if that ball comes out of his hands at all, other than it's thrown some way way over the sidelines. Right. So anyway, they, I, I, I understand your point. I think you're right. If the, if the flush is right and it's – sorry, if the flush is left, it's pretty much always good for the defense still. If the flush – although it wasn't in this game. If the flush is to the right and it comes out of pressure that the quarterback didn't make the decision to deal with mm. it, then I think it's pretty good. But if it's Lamar Jackson and he's so good dealing with the bump pressures from behind from Stanley that are not – you know, the, the, the defender getting usually a hand on him, that usually doesn't help the defense all that much. And that can create right. an extended play opportunity that is pretty juicy. Yeah. So, so if we were looking, if we, if we were fans of the other team after a, a game where Lamar uh, chose to roll, you know, we might see, we might have recorded some pressures on plays that were success after success after success for the offense. Uh, I just, I'm just wondering if, pressures as a stat are um something we need to think more deeply about uh in in the modern era it was a good question that came up it didn't go in the mailbag but I'll, i want to give it the 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 do it had and and a friend online was was basically asking the question is there something more detailed he was asking about Adafi Owe in terms of players who get pressure and then what is the result of the play coming off of that pressure so it, could we have something that, that tells us, you know, even when he gets a pressure and it doesn't end up in the, in the stat column as a quarterback hit or a sack, what was mm -hmm. the event of that play? In fact, in a quarterback hit or quarterback hit, you still need to know. Uh, yep. On a sack, you, you pr presumably do know from his sack yards, you know, what you got out of it. But, uh, but in a, on a quarterback hit, you'd like to know as well. And it's, it's a great question. I, I'm not aware of any specific place that, generates average yards per pressure event other than right. what i've done to, to to look at ats pressure and ball out quick which is you know it's only specific to the ravens and i've only been doing it for about 15 years so it's really not enough total um uh observations to 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 mean a lot in today's modern game yeah yeah and you know half it, of it's, it's flacco it's and or most of it's flacco Right. Well, so it's it's an interesting venue for further study, field for further study. There you go. So anyway, I want to talk about deceptive elements as well uh, as we go here. Uh, well, I, I think the pass rush by numbers, let's do that real quickly because the pass rush by numbers, they only rushed four or five. There wasn't a lot of differentiation between the two, but I just want to give you an idea on this. So with four they rushed four 25 times for 151 yards, 6.0 yards per play. They did have two sacks rushing four. By the way, anytime you can come anywhere close to 8% rushing four and getting sacks, that's pretty freaking terrific. 
And admittedly, one of them was that JPP touchdown on the fall down stack, snap, uh, sack. I mean, he touched down. Uh, uh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it, it was it wasn't a really impressive sack. It was obviously a cleanup job there. Um, but the Hollisworth was all over Pickett on the broadcast, saying that Pickett yeah. should have gotten up and made something out of that. Appropriate. That he should have thrown it away. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's he's right on that. Uh, they they rushed they rushed five four times. And here's where it gets a little interesting. And you kind of wonder about the game plan a little bit, and then you think sample size. But only four plays. Uh, the Steelers gained two yards on those four plays, so 0.5 yards per play. And you know, one of the next natural questions is, well, should they have gone after Pickett a little more, right? To 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 create some more forced errors. I'll just say that's a very small sample size. I don't know that we know from this. I I I think they were they were very effective overall with Pickett, and particularly they were very effective prior to that final drive when he picked up 48 yards on two plays, and he had four of his ATS opportunities. So I think it, it's it's really hard to fault what McDonald brought to the table as a pass rush plan for this game. I agree with that. All right. Uh, now, they also did not do much in terms of deceptive elements of the game. They had six off-ball blitzes during the game. Now, Wink Martindale in games, I would not say often, but he would occasionally be in the 20s in terms yeah, of off-ball six, blitzes. Yeah, six would be a quarter for Wink, not a game. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, they were all singles in this game, and they resulted in 7.2 yards per pass. Again, not a big enough sample size to say, oh, I see. Well, Pickett was really taking advantage of off-ball blitzes. Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that at all. I just say it just just happened to work out that way for 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 that small sample size. Uh, one thing you often see in a game where there's very little blitzing is that you know uh, conversely there'll be a fair amount of stunting. And the Ravens did some of that. They had four stunts in this game, but they didn't have as many stunts as I, I would think. So they probably were doing some things to try and control rush lanes for Pickett and not make it so he would just escape the pocket. So there are four stunts. Uh, they gave up 24 yards on those play. Again, not a very significant sample size. I think what's more significant about it is they didn't really go stunt crazy in a game they had an opportunity to because there were so few blitzes. And but we talked about this before on the show, Jim, but blitzes and stunts kind of don't work too well together because you really need to leave the open lane or you're trying to create right. an open lane for a blitzer, and stunting does not work well with that. Now, you can stunt on one side, blitz on the other, so it, it can be done. I'm just saying it's more more often than not you don't stunt when you blitz. No, I can see that because the the stunting guy would cross the path of the blitzer, and mm-hmm. it would just yeah P- potentially get blocked into the path of the blitzer if he right. if he if he's stunting too. So uh, yeah, they did some nice things with stunts in this game. They, they got a nice opportunity for Matt BK to get a pressure on a stunt, but uh, uh, you know it just it wasn't overall uh, tremendously successful either. Simulated pressures—that's something we see a lot from the Ravens. They only had three of those in this game. So only three times did they, you know, come up to the line of scrimmage, show extra men, and then drop them off. But they had three, four, two blitzes in this game. A four, two blitzes, four rush the passer, and two drop from the line of scrimmage. And so they did. They they only did that three times uh, with multiple guys dropping from the line of scrimmage into coverage. Very typical. Your your uh, Sam linebacker will drop, or or your even your your linebacker on the other side, Owe in this case, will drop on a. Uh, on a uh, pass rush opportunity, but uh, from outside linebacker, but it, it, the Ravens normally do more than two simulate or sorry, three simulated pressures for every 29 passes. What, uh, what kinds of uh, yardage did they give up per play on those? Uh, 16 yards on three plays, nothing really spectacular. It's exactly their average for the whole game. In fact, for okay. the pass plays. 
it sounds like a fairly vanilla game plan against the Steelers pass attack. Very, very vanilla. I would agree. Uh, and I think we, we talked about this a little bit in the first one, but it was really, uh, you know, setting up Pickett to make unforced errors from the pocket. So they said, we, we think you'll make mistakes if you just stand back there and try and throw the ball against our defense. We think you'll miss reads and we trust our secondary to hold up in, in coverage um, against you. And for the most part, they did, except for uh, the, 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 the drive in the fourth quarter after multiple stops and the defense being on the field for a long time. There you go. Yep, I would agree. I think that's, that's pretty much how it went. Um, that is really all I have about the pass rush. So if you're good now, Jim, do you want to move on and talk about some individual players in this game? Well, yeah. So uh, I think uh, uh, last episode, I mentioned a couple of guys who I thought had good games from a defeats standpoint. Uh, So uh, Chuck Clark and Broderick Washington both showed up for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And we also talked about uh, Rashad Nichols. Um, And uh, two guys we didn't mention, but maybe should are um, Travis Jones and Brent Urban. Sure. Pick, pick one and we'll alternate. That's what, the normal way that we do this. So if you pick one then and give your thoughts on him and then I'll pick the next one. Uh, Brent Urban. Um, it's uh, nice to see an old Raven who's gone away and come back, you know, be, be productive and, and show up a couple of times. He made maybe two splash plays. I was pointing out to my stepdaughter while watching the game that he and Calais Campbell are, are the twin towers of the Ravens defense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he's, he's, uh, he's, he's turned in, he's turned in a nice career and it's nice to have him back. Yeah. He's, he's a very interesting career, obviously a lot of disappointment, I think for mm-hmm. Brent Urban in his career, because when he was at in Baltimore and his fourth year, he was on his way to getting really paid. I was having a big year. I thought, you know, he's the kind of guy maybe moves on and makes 16 million or something for three years or, or maybe more than that even, but then he got hurt. The Ravens, I believe brought him back for one more year uh, on a a fairly minimal contract. And I have to, I I don't have the data written in front of me on exactly what that was, but they brought him back and then he was able to sign other places, but he's still, he's made, I believe less than 10 million, might be less than 12 million playing the game in his career. Um, where he might have made that on his second contract alone uh, had things really worked out for him. So, so you know, a little bit frustrating in terms of that, I'm sure, for him personally. Um, right. He's probably, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't care to judge how any player would look at this, but um, he, he, he may be, you know, very grounded and say, hey, you know what, I've made a lot of money playing a game I love, and it's going to make me put, in a, put me in a position where I might never have to work again. I don't know if that's true in his situation. He he very well may have to work again, you know, given, right. given, you know, what he is, but, you know, hopefully if he's, if he's grounded about it, he realizes that, that, uh, you know, he's, he's still done fairly well. It's just unfortunate that he really never got the really big payday that comes along with a second contract for a very limited number of NFL players. Yeah. So but I thought over the cap has anything on his uh, career, on his uh, career earnings. I'm not seeing yeah. it. So he's 31 now. Yeah, it's nine accrued seasons. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and there are infinitely recyclable tall boy cans 
help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. It's, his career earnings are definitely there. I thought it was like $9 million and change, but let me, let me go back to it. Um, it has, if you go to the history section on Over the Cap, this is another thing that needs to be in a source thing. His, <laughs> career, his career earnings are $8.833 million. That's so money. More. Yeah, uh, more more than you've made, more than I made in in our careers, certainly. So you know, there's there's a lot of people who won't really feel sorry for him in the same way. But if you look at what happened, um, he had a one year deal with he was he was a 2014 draftee, so 14 to 17 with the years of the Ravens. Really good player in 16 in particular. He played a ton of snaps in 17. He got hurt. I don't remember exactly when during the season it was. Then he came back, played for the Ravens in 18. Uh, it was something close to a vet men contract, I think. And then he made a little bit of money moving around the NFL, but honestly, he's been kind of a journeyman making making a less than two million per year at every stop. Uh, so it, it it obviously hasn't been a big thing. We don't we don't need to get all into Brent Urban's finances uh, in, in, in the show, but you know it's it's he's he's had. There's a couple ways you can do really well in the NFL. One is you can make one big second contract. The other is you can hang around for a long time being an effective player like Brent Urban has been, yeah, and make probably $10 million playing in this league if he plays next year, I'm going to say. Uh, and, you know, that's that's another very fine way to do it. And, and and Brent Urban is coming very close to being a guy right now that I think the Ravens will need to bring back next year. Uh, you know, already, you know, they may be without Calais Campbell, but even if they weren't, I think Brent Urban has done enough this year to be a guy that they want back. And, you know, he becomes that Anthony Levine player that you really love having on your kick-blocking team and you like right. like having in – um, uh, available to play defense, available to step in at the five tech for more defensive line snaps uh, than you otherwise would have. And he's been good. Yep. A key rotational piece. And he made a couple of uh, big plays. plays in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I he, So he had consecutive, first of all, I tipped the ball, which was, which was a nice play. Then he had a couple of really nice containment plays. If you look at Q4, 11, 12, he contained the left edge. Then he made the tackle, which is a, is a, it was not blocked on the play, which was nice, but he closed it down and the Nichols had a nice assist on that play for a two-yard run. And then the very next play is in the backfield. Beat a core of four, looked like a slippery dude to beat him to the inside and then took Warren down for a two-yard loss. Yeah. Um, so very nice set of plays in this game that I think you look at and uh, uh, you know be very positive about it. Now, on the flip side of that, he is one of the guys who's named – relatively frequently. And I had Urban for four times named and one missed tackle among all those run plays that went for six plus yards. Yeah. So there were, it's not like he got out of this game without warts either. He didn't, but uh, I, I just, I've been very happy with the year he's had and I'd like to see the Ravens resign him next year. Yep. Yep. My turn to pick a player. Yeah. 
Yes. All right. Let me move on and I will talk about, well, I'll talk about Chuck Clark since I think we were in danger otherwise of saying we talked about him in the first show. Very good game from Chuck Clark. And, and yeah. what was best about it is there were two ample time and space opportunities, one on third and three and the other on third and 18, where he had a pass defense despite ample time and space to end the drive. Now, that is quite a rare feat, by the way. It's not common to get PDs when the quarterback has ample time and space, and he did it twice to end drives in this game. Uh, did uh, get trucked a little bit in the run game in some ways. He also had a nice play on a second and four play where he he took down Sims for a two-yard gain. He actually was an assist for Stevens on that play. Stevens had the initial contact, but they did a good job of of having – Two to one numbers on the blockers on the right side of the field, and they both of them ended up getting by it. But Stevens got by first and and initially held him up. It looked like his grasp was tenuous, I will say, and then Clark came in to help him finish it off. Uh, you're on mute here, Jim. I'm sorry. You can't say enough good things about Chuck Clark, and and it's I, I just remember in the in the preseason when uh, Marcus Williams was acquired and everyone said that Chuck Clark was on his way out of town <laughs> and he's on his way to paying playing a hundred percent of the snaps this season. Uh, he's just been a key cog. He's been absolutely critical. The green dot where well-deserved. I think we're seeing that now um, at this point in the season and, and Kyle Hamilton, as well as he has played is not pushing Chuck Clark off the green dot. I no. don't think it will happen next year. Uh, it could be, you know, it could Ravens have some options if particularly if they sign resign Roquan. Roquan could have the green dot if they wanted to yeah. do that. Yeah. But I think the the it will even next year, as it is shaping up right now, and even with the uh you know, the potential returns from injury that the Ravens could have, um, you know, they've they've got a uh it's still I think a pretty good chance of having uh Clark be the green dot. And uh, we'll see if they decide that they want to spend that money and keep him here or if they decide they want to make more out of Geno Stone, who would also be a very reasonable player to, to get more snaps for next year. Well, I think that the idea like the idea that we wouldn't put Chuck Clark and Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton on the field together, you know, that that we would only play two of them is not kind of reflective of the raw, you know, how important nickel packages are. I mean, there's there's no reason in the world to to get rid of one of those guys. There's no motivation to do that. I, I I mean, I completely agree, but I think there's a lot of people that would say that Hamilton is not an ideal slot corner. So if you mm-hmm. could get a slot corner, you you put another one on, and then you're in a situation where the Ravens are a committed nickel team because they've got Queen and Roquan, mm-hmm. and that makes it much harder to get into dime packages where you really unlock a lot of the value of Clark by moving him up into the box as your weak side linebacker. That's where Clark absolutely shined in 2019 when the Ravens played 42% dime was mm-hmm. his ability to, to, to play that dime position when, when uh, uh, the Ravens wanted to exchange linebackers out of the game. Okay. And so you're saying the limitation there is that for a traditional dime, one of the ILBs has to come off the field, either queen or Roquan. It's not going to be Roquan and queen is playing really well too. So there's no, like that, it's an unlikely adjustment for the Ravens to be. It is. That's exactly what I would say. Now they did take them. They took Queen off for four snaps in this game, and they've taken both Queen and Roquan off for an occasional snap here and there. But basically, since Roquan arrived, and actually I'll say since the second game of Roquan's Ravens career, they've yeah. effectively been a committed nickel team, meaning 
doesn't matter what the defense does. They're going to f- play some form of nickel unless they're playing base. Okay, so in in, in situations where they have uh, the opportunity to play five or more defensive backs, they will always play five <laughs> defensive backs. Rather than take one of those inside linebackers off the field. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they they do have other ways you do it, by the way, Jim. They could they could go to a thirty two dime, which is something the Ravens played in two thousand one, a little bit in two thousand twenty one. Um, the Ravens of two thousand one wanted Jamie Sharper on the field, and he and he's a guy in two thousand that got taken off every single significant passing situation. But in two in two thousand one, they said, "Hey, we've got something here. We think that this guy can either rush the passer or um, uh, you know play play off ball." And they did a really good job of of playing thirty two dime that year. Um, I don't know if the Ravens will go back to that or not. Harbaugh is a fairly committed four-man front guy from everything I've seen over the years. So it would take not only a defensive coordinator that was interested in doing it, I think they, they would have to they would have to get Harbaugh's buy-in on that. And it is kind of a franchise decision in the sense that you have to build your roster around a willingness to play 32 dime. So what do you need up front for 32 dime? So I can tell you what the Ravens used in 2001 is that they would either have Sam Adams or more often Rob Burnett playing a slant nose tackle, a slant on the nose. In fact, some people call it a, you know, a slant, meaning you're playing a one tech. That's not it. Go back to the 2001 video if you want. And you'll see Rob Burnett actually lines up at an angle on the center with the intention of either blowing by the face of that center and hitting a guard or blowing up the play by driving that center into the backfield. But he's got a couple of different mm-hmm. options that he's, it's, it's almost like he's declaring it right off the bat, but very, yeah. very effective. And then they had Bullware who led the AFC in sacks on one end of the line of scrimmage and they had McCrary on the other. So they had quite a, you know, quite a bit of pass rushing punch still sharper ended up being a guy who would roam the line of scrimmage and generally rush the passer in that situation. It's a big change. You're right from how, from what we've seen uh, with the, you know, the three technique and the, you know, the traditional disposition of the of the front guys uh, during the Harbaugh era. So I don't see them making the change, and I don't see the need. I mean, and, and also like that's a reimagining of personnel uh, in in a situation where it's it's kind of unprompted. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, one of the, th- the things that's funny about this is that the 2001 Ravens had one of the deepest defensive lines in NFL history. I mean, in NFL history, it's not even, it's not even really close, but they, Dillis Thomas came up and he was, you know, defensive end, defensive tackle originally when he came up, Kelly Gregg on that team. And this is only possible in a universe where Tony Siragusa and Sam Adams are your two primary starting defensive tackles. But Kelly Gregg was a situational pass rusher. What? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> he would come on the field. He'd play third down. They all can't have Syracuse or Adams rushing the quarterback. You got to do that. No. They had other guys like, um, who was the guy who was out for eight games? Larry Webster in 2000 for the suspension before he came back. Is who I mean. And they had Marquise Douglas was a rookie on that team. So they had a, a, just an incredibly deep defensive line, including all the 2001 starters uh, still available to them at that point. So uh, it's incredible that that team in particular chose to play some 32 dime. What was the case? You said uh, 2021 they did that as uh, well? Two, two, uh, 2001 I'm talking about, but 2021 was the second time they did it. And they did a little bit in the opener against – Las Vegas, 
And they did it a few more times during the season as well. And I mean, a few more snaps, like it might've been gotcha. 20 snaps for the year. Maybe they did. I have okay. to really look back and, and see the exact number. So, all right. Uh, let's see. I, I think I talked about Chuck Clark. Anything more to say about Clark? Otherwise pick another player. Uh, no, I just, uh, just how impressed, uh, uh, how impressed I am with his season. Um, I don't really have an additional player. I noted Travis Jones is making a couple of tackles, but also getting shoved around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what do you think of his season? Um, some of the expected adjustments to the NFL being made, obviously he's hurt. So that's a not uncommon thing for a rookie to go through. I think he probably still needs to gain some strength, whereas his strength was wholly adequate for the college level. I right. think he's he's finding himself to to be a little bit short probably at this level. He'll be a really interesting player playing next to Michael Pierce if you can take him out of a pure nose tackle role. So right now he, mm-hmm. he has to play the nose for the Ravens because they don't really have anybody else who fits that description. You know, it, bodily, uh, strength wise, and and you know what? Right. If he could be moved to three tech and get a lot of one on one matchups against a guard, I'd be particularly excited about that. Yeah. So good chance anyway, next year, uh, the Ravens try the same game plan against the Steelers. Hopefully Travis Jones is one of the guys who messes it up by, uh, by being a little better positioned to do it. Uh, do you have another guy? Yeah, I do. Um, let's talk about, um, Oh, some other various people I want to talk about here, but we'll talk about Rashad, Rashad Nichols here real quick. A good game for a limited number of snaps, like 15 snaps. We talked a little bit about this. 14 of those were runs, and uh, the the Ravens did well when he was in there. He didn't get pushed around a lot. I think he has mentioned in a couple of my notes, you mentioned he had three tackles where he was involved either as an assist or a primary, and it was a defensive loss for the offense, a defensive win is another way to state that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he he played well, and uh, I think that's, that's a really nice start for him. Uh, they did have some a couple of big plays when he was in there, uh, but uh, but it's something that I think that that you know I am happy that he's available on the practice squad. Should uh, Campbell miss another week, and I sure hope Campbell doesn't miss another week. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's a good debut for uh, for a, for a rotational guy, a young player, you know, making his NFL debut, uh, but not necessarily the guy you want to depend on every down. Should be a guy you think the Ravens will bring back for camp next year and would be a, um, you know, a guy that would be, they might cut, obviously, but not guaranteed a spot on the team, but a guy who who would certainly have a chance to prove himself. And if the, if the, if a eight deep set of defensive linemen suddenly becomes a five deep set of defensive linemen as it, as is want to happen. Right. Uh, you know, then you 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 have a guy like Nichols available. It's actually fairly. Yeah, they lost Mac this week by demoting him mm-hmm. to the practice squad, and they he was he was claimed. But it's actually Rayshad Nichols. You know, nobody's seen him play yet. Mac, there's you know he's, he's been in the league for four years now. Nichols, now there's some tape on him. I think there might be some people who are looking to uh, to pluck him from the Ravens practice squad as as the injuries mount up and we close out the year. Yeah, he's a he's a a case of the Ravens personnel acquisition department and the coaching staff uh, working well to, to find a contributor. All right. Well, you want to talk some questions from the mailbag? 
Actually, I had one more guy that I would like to talk about. Um, and it's David Ojabo. And it is just, I would like to give voice to some frustration in the community, which is that uh, you watch George Pickens make plays for, for the Steelers and help them win this game. And of course, he is the primary guy that Ravens fans talk about as, as, the, as the person who was not drafted when the Ravens took Ojabo. Uh, and this would have been a nice uh, uh, chance for Ravens fans to see Ojabo do something, uh, and we did not. And obviously the Ravens are not conducting their player personnel decisions on the basis of uh, you know, making somebody feel good or, or, you know, winning a particular point They're they're trying to, to win a game and find matchups and, you know, manage their roster accordingly. But uh, there has to be some disappointment just with the, the two players potentially on the, on the field. Uh, the one has contributed absolutely nothing to the Ravens and the other seems to be exactly what this Ravens team would need to, to, um, to be a tier higher than they are right now. I mean, I, I I don't disagree that that's the way it's worked out so far this year. Though what Pickens has done is is somewhat overstated in terms of of what he's done. He hasn't been targeted nearly as much as they expected him to be this year. Yeah. But what I will say about Ajabo is it may be unfair at this point if you if you're going to buy into the Ajabo pick at all, you realize he's losing this year for anything but some marginal developmental gain, which I think he's is they've been actually very fortunate that he's been able to practice from midway in this year. And get at least that under his belt. He's 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 become accustomed, I hope, to an NFL weight room, and is right. probably improving there. But but more importantly, getting some NFL coaching in this first year, where I don't think they were sure that would happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if if we buy into the idea that this was planned to be a redshirt year, then his getting the opportunity to work with the with the coaches and be on the practice field and stuff that's actually a big positive. Uh, it just feels like a missed opportunity from a, a, a loading the roster for this year approach. And it almost feels like Ojabo has to be, he has to damn well something to be worth the opportunity cost. And that's of course an utterly unfair burden to put on a young player, uh, well, but just the way the roster has fallen out this year with injuries and everything. It, it obviously it has not worked out the way the, the Ravens would have hoped in terms of, of the wide yeah. receiver position. So having Pickens would be an unbelievably big asset relative to what they have at the position now. But yes, but in terms of of Ajabo, you have to make that decision at the time. Yes. Everyone thought you know Rashad Bateman would have a a huge breakout year, and he was seemed to be on the way to that before he got yep. hurt. Um, uh, and and also. When you draft him, you say, well, Ajabo's a top 15 talent. We got him at yep. pick number 45. So, you know, we wouldn't have got him if it wasn't for this. So I, that all that said, I was in favor of Pickens over Ajabo. Uh, and I, I really don't like, because I think so much of the player's value is tied in the first contract. You basically mm -hmm. have to receive 100% of the draft capital value back during that first contract. If you don't, anything you get after that, you have to pay market value for Okay. So you don't like it as a from a moneyball perspective because you're losing one of the what three four years four. of yeah. of you know rookie contract value. So he's automatically discounted in terms of what he can give to the Ravens because of his injury situation, and that was known on draft day, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, double hit. 
Because, yes, you're using one year, but if you think of this as a ramp-up period where your typical player, like let's say, has a value of one, two, three, and four over the first four years, and a Jabo, even though he might have a higher ceiling, ends up having a value of one, two, and three in years um, two, three, and four, you end up right. getting only 60% of the value out of a player like that. I'm just trying I'm trying to put it, you no. know, some sort of BS numbers on it so you, you can understand my position is that you may we've seen so many Ravens players you know break out in their fourth year and us be kind of frustrated about it but that's a good thing in a relative sense you know at least you, you got one good year out of the player and then they then they garner a fairly high contract we're seeing that right now from Ben Powers but we've seen it in the past right. from lo- lots of players like Paul Kruger is a guy who really comes to mind as a pass rusher um, Pernell McPhee Pernell McPhee sure yeah yeah for sure so, you know, those are guys that, that uh, you, you know, you, you can't be upset about losing players like that after four years because that's the nature of drafting well is you have to make lots of heartbreaking decisions about your top players. It's a lot right. more heartbreaking when your franchise is talking about whether or not they ought to sign Josh Cribs for big money. And remember when that was a big deal to the Cleveland Browns? You don't want to be yeah. in that. You don't want to be that franchise. All right. Let's stop getting upset. Get, get to this mailbag. What do you say, buddy? <laughs> well, okay. So you solicited uh, questions on Twitter for the film study mailbag, and uh, some people responded. Um, I don't know if I saw everybody, but uh, we have one one person with a Twitter handle of Cole Filippu. And uh, Cole, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that name correctly. That's basically asked, correct, by the way. And Cole did a nice four-minute offense pod with me recently. Ah. Uh, Cole asks... Despite Pitt's high rush total, the defense did do its job by keeping a bad offense in the game. Does the tape suggest that the Ravens were willing to give up rush yards with the goal of being stingy in the red zone, or were they just completely blown off the ball? You start. Uh, they um, So Ken broke down the uh, yards to go on third down that the Steelers faced in the first half. And not once uh, on third down in the first half did they face anything longer than third and four. Very often they were facing third and two, third and one. They were in very easy, uh, convertible third downs. And so I would say that there's no way in hell that the Ravens had planned to give up that many rush yards or to allow the Steelers to be that successful on first and second down. I would say that the Ravens were just completely blown off the ball. What would you say, Ken? Hello, Ken. Are you with us? And you caught me in the mute button trap. Sorry about that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I still had two to one, I believe, in this two podcast. <laughs> but it's not good anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, so the, the the point Cole was making is, were they somehow playing to play good red zone defense, to play bend but not break? I mean, I, I'll just say it doesn't make any sense to be consistently behind the down a distance curve the way the Ravens were. So there's no way they were playing for what happened in this game. Um, And you especially don't want to play and get significantly tired over the course of a game uh, in the way that that might, uh, that might occur or did occur in this one uh, at the value of getting some bend, but not break value close to the goal line. Yeah, no, I think that they, I think they just got, I think the Ravens just got beat defensively. I don't think that this was a, some kind of plan to concede space, but, uh, you know, to, to, to stay strong in the red zone. Diabolical, it would be diabolical. <laughs> okay. We had another question from Ong Love 85 
who uh, Ang says, love the pod. Should we be worried about the scheme employed by Pittsburgh? The D-line, so we're talking about the Pittsburgh's offense. The D-line and normal strength got bullied. Uh, the playoff teams that we'll be facing are more pass-heavy, so bringing Calais and Marcus Peters may help. Also, was there any improvement uh, by Stevens? He was targeted but seemed to have made some plays. Okay, I'll start with the with the um, game plan stuff. And I think on both sides of the ball, there is significant concern with this game. Uh, the Steelers did some things to run on the Ravens that I think are, um, unfortunately, could be replicated in terms of running out of a lot of pony, knowing when to use no huddle appropriately, uh, and just generally knowing how to set up blocks effectively against this team. It's something the Ravens had had any trouble with recently. Um, in recent years, we've seen the, the the Ravens do it effectively against the Steelers when nobody else or a lot of other teams could not run on the Steelers. So yeah. uh, you know, it's 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 a both ways. But I think that by far the much more serious problem is the other side of the ball. Is that the Ravens? I think the the Steelers may have provided an a defensive blueprint on how to stop the Ravens' offense with Tyler Huntley. Is if you're willing to play jumbo defense on every down and you say go out and beat me, Tyler Huntley, throw the football. I'm going to play big linebackers. I'm going to play two outside linebackers in addition to two inside and four down linemen and play with only three in the secondary, and you can't immediately light that up with a bunch of passes, then I think it does not bode well for what the Ravens can do in the playoffs. I think that I only partially agree with you on the Pittsburgh defense versus Ravens offense side of that. And the reason I'm saying only partial is that I don't think it's necessarily such a tremendous accomplishment to come up with a game plan that's going to limit Tyler Huntley's effectiveness. Uh, I, I don't think that any playoff team is going to try to do the same thing if Lamar is back. And I don't think the ceiling was very high without Lamar. Uh, so uh, I don't think that that necessarily what we saw from the Steelers defense versus the Ravens offense, I don't think that that is necessarily as indicative as, uh, uh, as, as you seem concerned that it would be. I, I understand your point. And if you're, if you're trying to say the Ravens chance to win the Super Bowl with Tyler Huntley is so small that we shouldn't even be concerned about it. You're probably right. My, my problem is that if you, if they go into any place to try and win playoff football games, their best chance with Tyler Huntley is to shorten the game, to run the football and try and have the game be decided by fewer large play, big play gambles. Yeah. And what the Steelers did was very effective at basically negating that strategy. They, they, they did not allow the Ravens to shorten the game, in particular in that second half. They did not allow it. And the Steelers ended up being the better team play for play as the game played out. And, uh, and they were able to eventually lean on the Ravens and get that touchdown, even though it took into the final minute to do so. Yeah, sure, but any I, I uh, that's absolutely true. But I feel like many teams would be able to do something kind of similar to the Tyler Huntley led Ravens offense. Okay, all right. Well, fair enough. Let's go to another question. I'll pick. And one mind here. you, I'm insisting on that because I absolutely want it to be true. <laughs> Mar Lamar, please come back. Please come back. Uh, all right. The, I want uh, the last question. Go ahead. I, I was going to go to another one here, but if you got one, go ahead. I got one from Liam McCusker, um, who writes, uh, do the Ravens adjust much or just play matchup? At this point, the bend but don't break doesn't seem worth it. If we are leading, should we just dial up the risk regardless of personnel and let the pass rushers rip? Okay. First of all, great point, Liam. 
And in general, defenses need to gamble to get off the field. And they need to gamble yeah. more to get off the field when the other team is is able by circumstance to play four down football. It is a tremendous advantage to play four down football, particularly with the high completion percentages in the NFL at this point in uh, in, in time. So y- you have to gamble, and they're, they're the things that that win drives for you, and I mean getting the other opponent off the field are turnovers number one. Ravens didn't get any of those. Sacks are a big way to get people off of schedule in terms of down and distance. So they're huge. Um, a huge one that nobody talks about or people don't talk about too much are penalties. And teams that have a good pass rush can force holding calls. Um, you know, you, you get the quarterback outside the pocket. Your edge guys should be immediately trying to draw a hold uh, as they turn away to the quarterback and flail their arms up in the air. <laughs> So right. we see that a fair amount, but but drawing and sometimes is, false starts. Sometimes we yeah. see really great pass rushers induce false starts and scared offensive linemen. Could, certainly can do that and well. And and otherwise, you're really limited to multiple consecutive incomplete passes, and that's just so difficult to do in 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 four down football and in, in the way the game is played right now. So, uh, you know, it, yes, is the simple answer, Liam. The teams defenses need to be gambling more all the time than they have been. The, what the bend but not break strategy is doing is basically limiting or sorry, extending the time that other teams need to get down the field. And I don't think it does a good enough job of that to really make it worthwhile in most circumstances. So I basically agree with the point you're making. And bring one like Martindale back. Is that the second half of what you were saying? That's uh, he, he is was expert at, uh, at strategies <laughs> that would do that. Uh, you know, not bending. It, it it is something to really be said. Is the Ravens certainly it, the Wink era? We they could have had some spectacular losses among their you know losses of ten point leads, and they certainly had some during the Wink era, but nothing like what's happened this year. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it, they need a gambler in a sense. Rex Ryan, when he says the the Ravens' young hotshot defensive coordinator isn't any good, is basically saying I'd be gambling more and I'd be winning enough to make your lack of gambling look stupid. And he's probably correct in, in from that standpoint. So it's something I think McDonald will adjust to as a coordinator. Obviously, the yeah. defense has improved a lot with, with the quality of opponent down the stretch here. So, you know, certainly for a 34-year-old or 35, whatever the hell he is right now, um, yeah. he, he's he like a player at age 22 or 24, you know, <laughs> will have a good chance to improve as his career extends. I agree with that. I, I kind of consider him to be a high ceiling young guy who like I, I really think that the Ravens lost one or two games that they would not have lost early in the season with a more experienced coordinator not necessarily because McDonald won't be great but just because he didn't have the the game calling routine down you know in the first five weeks of the season he was an inexperienced NFL level defensive coordinator and he made a couple of mistakes that is in retrospect are kind of predictable that a young defensive coordinator would make, uh, which doesn't mean that he won't be great next year or the year after. Yes. I I I I think it's it's uh you know there there definitely is adjustment in terms of we saw I, I think one of the big play, uh, coaches that we've seen change in over time is Harbaugh. Harbaugh yep. has embraced analytics and become a better gambler over time. And some people don't like it, but I think that that the, the his willingness to gamble has as is in the upper echelon of the NFL teams. Mike Tomlin has shown very little in the way mm-hmm. of willingness to be. He always uh, typically leads the league in cowardly punts 
on yep. here. Those, those are, you know, where you're giving up positive EV on, on going for it. So uh, I, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for the potential for coaches to grow. I'm going to drop two questions here, which are actually just comments. And that's fine, by the way. We love comments, but we're not going to treat them like questions when they're just comments. Overhaul underscore O-line says, pound sign film study mailbag. How many points will, will the Bengals drop on us? And why is it more than, why is it more than 40? <laughs> you understand. You understand your opinion on this. Uh, I, we also got a question from Andrew Konizeski, and he, he has just a, a, a legitimate point here. For as good as Cleveland played the last two times against Pittsburgh, one of those was in 2021, of course. And then in 2022, he, he run blocked extremely well in a 14 snap outing where he also had shares of two sacks during that time. I will mm-hmm. say on my offensive line scoring method, he didn't get a grade, but he only worked out to a 0.29 score for the game, despite the really good run blocking. But, but he said that um, it, it, for as well as he's played the last two times, is the, the fact that he is not on the field is self-sabotage, semicolon, total fail. No. You mean the Ravens are self-sabotaging themselves by not playing, by, by not playing their, by their awesome block? So I'm going to say that Kevin Zeitler has been absolutely tremendous this year. And so has Powers. And Ben Powers has been excellent this year. Yeah. And Ben Cleveland may or may not have upside greater than those two guys, but there's no way that today – Ben Cleveland has ever shown that he plays as well as Zeitler and Powers have this year. So no, self-sabotage, that's ridiculous. All right, let me let me add to that a little bit because one of the things I really liked was that they activated Cleveland over Cologne. Not a lot of people noticed that necessarily, but Cologne was out and Cleveland was activated. Now, by the way, some people said, oh no, Cologne missed this week with a personal issue. I don't believe that's it. I, I, don't, I don't believe that's it for a second. I think it's a matter of, of uh, Cologne's only the backup center. Backup center is important, particularly when McCarry is your only other guy who can really play that position. But it's not so important that you don't um, uh, take the risk and and ho- and you know just hope cross your fingers and hope Linderbaum can play the whole game and that you don't need a backup tackle because they did end up needing a backup tackle in this game. But the thing I would have liked to see is Cleveland inserted as a sixth offensive lineman versus those four man jumbo fronts. Let's get, let's get Ben Cleveland in there and see how badly he can push somebody around, Absolutely. particularly as he get closer to the edge. And, and you know what? If that guy ends up being TJ Watt because he's on the edge and you can put him on the ground a few times or be the yep. second block on him a few times, fantastic. Yep. Deliver some punishment to him and see what happens. But So I agree uh, with you, Andrew, that I would have loved to see Cleveland play a few sixth offensive line snaps. In this game, we got one sixth offensive line snap, I believe, from McCarry and no others as it, uh, as it went down. So they didn't really try and adjust – to the Steelers line in the way that I would have hoped they would have by putting even more beef on the field. So that's the opposite of what uh, in the, in the first episode, I talked a little bit about, you know, spreading them out more uh, if they're committed to this heavy approach, if the Steelers defense is committed to this heavy approach and you're saying lean into it, you go big. Well, we can go big too. And, and deliver. I I think you can do, let me be, let me be careful. I, I I can go with either uh, an even get bigger or throw the ball against them, but I think you got to do one or the other. You can't go with your basic offense and allow them to play heavy against it. I think that that's right. Okay. All right. Outstanding stuff. Let's get a couple more questions since this is, this is going well. I'm really enjoying this. Okay. Here's a good one. <laughs> Any particular trend in yards per play when OA drops back into coverage? Okay. So I had him dropping back, I think several times in this game. Let me just make sure what we've got here. So 
14. Okay, here's one. He dropped back on a play where he actually got a quarterback hit himself. That was in quarter two. So that was an incomplete pass. That was that was one of them. He dropped back on a drive ending play by Chuck Clark when he got a PD despite ample time and space. So always in coverage then, presumably providing value. That's a second. Another drive ending play on third and four where he dropped a cover out of a um, one of their few simulated pressures of the game. He had another where he dropped back and they gave up a 15-yard pass. And then he had another drop back where there was another incomplete. So I would say that's a pretty damn good theory you've got there if that's what you are trying to present to us, Mr. Ed. Um, so 15 yards on those five plays. He got a quarterback hit himself. Uh, several drive-ending plays in there. I think that there's a um, – if, if, if your point is that the Ravens got a lot of value from OA in coverage, I think they did. I think the Ravens also got good value in this game from OA as a pass rusher which is probably, I think we'd all agree, the more important place for him to start to demonstrate more ability to generate pressure. And I think he, he did a good job with that in this game. It's nice to see. Uh, it's interesting. So it, it, <laughs> the Ravens have, in recent years, really valued the versatile linebacker who can drop into space as well as rush the passer, whether it's Matthew Judon or Tyus Bowser. And I think they're, sometimes has been fan frustration that they haven't let that guy just, you know, pull, pin his ears back and, and get 11 sacks or whatever. But uh, the Ravens have been looking at like a complete def- at a picture of a complete defense with all of these players. And it sounds like Odafe Owe is developing along those lines. Yeah, Owe, Owe certainly has the tools to be a Sam linebacker. I thought they were asking too much of him early in this year. I thought they needed to focus him more on that. And they were trying to make him be more like Bowser with a lot of drops uh, Bowser is a guy who is truly interchangeable. He's the best coverage outside linebacker in the entire league. And, and you, you can you can afford to drop him a lot. You can afford him to play him off ball sometimes. Uh, oh, well, you could do some of the same things. They did it with Judon, certainly, in terms of rushing him from off ball. But uh, I think there's – there's um, he t- to try and say he's the same as Bowser would, would just be incorrect. He's got better tools even than Bowser does in terms of ath- his athleticism, but he's not that player. He's, he, mm-hmm. he needs to focus on being – a pass rusher getting a pass rush plan that really magnifies what his athleticism is in, into being more than it is has been so far. So then does that suggest that despite his success in the plays that you just listed, mm-hmm. that uh, the usage of him uh, in this way maybe diminishes, uh, limits his ability to develop the kind of pass rush plan to become the impact kind of player that the Ravens need him to become. Okay, maybe a tiny bit what you said, because I don't think it limits it so much when he's playing on the rush side. The rush linebacker has to drop to from the line of scrimmage, even if you're Lawrence Taylor. You have to drop from the line of scrimmage occasionally to, to be in coverage, and that's no problem. I, I, if, if he has to do that five times a game, that's fine. The problem I had is earlier this year, because Bowser was out, they had to play him on the same spot and play him basically a very high percentage of the snaps. That combination is extremely detrimental to his development as a pass rusher. It just okay. it does not lend itself to, you know, being the, the, the guy he could be in terms of how he practices, how he plays, all of it is, is just going to be more difficult. Gotcha. I guess we'll call it there in terms of the questions. Some great stuff out there. Thanks, guys, for sending in your questions. We'll make sure we take more questions next week. uh, And and we'll save some of these for the offensive show tomorrow night. Uh, Always a pleasure to talk football with you, Jim. Ken, thank you so much for for inviting me. It's, uh, It's I always look forward to being on the show. 
appreciate your flexibility also in this uh, in this uh, episode to, to switch over to the offensive side. Uh, sorry, the defensive side. We have uh, uh, James Ogden uh, at NFL Ogden joining us tomorrow. A terrific guest for uh, uh, for the uh, offense as well. So he'll have the more difficult job this week. So at least you got the fun side. Well, I think that uh, despite switching to defense, I think we still managed to talk a lot about the offense in this part. <laughs> so we did Get both. Frustrations a out. Yeah, there you go. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I really don't want to hear from you. I'll get back to you very quickly. Anybody who's been on a short before, you can ask them about this. But normally, I, all I'm asking for is about three bullet points on an idea. Uh, send that to me. You can d- send it to me via DM on Twitter, something we discussed in about 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, believe me, you will not have to carry the conversation with me. I promise you that. <laughs> we'll have lots of probing back and forth. And, and uh, you know, if you've got analytic stuff, that's terrific. I, I always like that. But if, if you don't, you're just passionate about some uh, organizational philosophy, roster building, you know, emphasizing certain position groups, whatever it might be. Happy to hear your thoughts. We'll have tons of draft content this offseason. We're hoping people will contribute on that. And Jim, in particular, I'd love to have you back on draft day as one of our panelists. I would love to uh, be on the draft, but you're not going to get much out of me but reaction shots. Uh, everybody that you have knows more about the draftable players than than I do. I'll just be like, oh, goody, we got that guy. Great. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, <laughs> either way, if you want to participate as a as a question guy, you can, okay. you can certainly do that. So we have a number of people who, who listen to the show that way. All right. Jim, thanks again for joining me. Ken, thank you for having me. Happy New Year out there to Ravens Flock, and uh, hopefully, we'll uh, hopefully this next game will mean something, and we'll have a good showing. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.